morning. If you have a Bible, won't you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's where we're going to be this morning. I want to take some time and go ahead and welcome you all this morning. It's the beginning of a new year. It's, it's a wonderful time. I am a little under the weather, so if my voice sounds a little weird, that is why. I caught something when we were on our trip, and we're on the tail end of it, but it's still making me sound a little weird. This morning, I want to focus on a story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, a story that is very peculiar because it revolves around a character in the Bible that is well thought of, someone that we look up to and have heard so many stories about, and that character is David, the king of Israel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, what we get is a glimpse of him failing. We're going to begin in verse 1, if you follow along with me in your Bibles. 2 Samuel 11, starting in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one of them said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. David makes a mistake here. But it's a mistake, it's it's a type of mistake that I think we've all made before, because it comes from a choice. You see, I don't think David woke up that morning and thought that this was going to happen. David just thought he was going to be able to relax and rest. And I think we have these times. There are times when choices we make get us into binds. They back us into a corner where the only choice is to find a way out of it. And sometimes choices, if they're bad, can lead to more bad choices. And it can become a slippery slope. And when we look at this story of David and Bathsheba, we see a slippery slope. David continues to make a series of choices that cause him to fall away from God. And when we look at this story, we see a beginning where David, in the beginning of the chapter, has God on his side. God is pleased with everything he is doing. In chapter 10, we see that God is helping him defeat his enemies in battle. God is with David in battle. But at the end of this chapter, what we're going to see is that God is no longer pleased with David. David's choices in this chapter separate him from God. Now, this this story is peculiar because what we see is David stays home at this time. David is a king and his armies are going off to battle. And and this time, kings go with their armies. They lead their battles or they lead their armies at the front. And what we know from David is he is a warrior king. He has fought so many battles. He has defeated so many of God's enemies. And yet he chooses to stay home. He chooses not to do what is normal for him. And this is probably, this is his first choice in this story. Because he chooses to do something that is different than what he would normally do. Had he chosen to go and lead his army, this story probably would have never happened. We would never have this instance of him with Bathsheba. But because because of the fact that he chooses to stay home, we do get this story. This story of failure. So this morning, what we're going to talk about is how to destroy a life. David's choices destroy his life and others' lives as well. 
Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that all of our choices are going to lead to this penultimate doom or destruction. But we must be careful with what we choose to do. Because what might seem small or innocent or, or a useless choice that doesn't really matter much, inconsequential really, well, eventually those choices can turn to be something harder. They can, they can turn us away from what is right. And David shows us his human side here. David is a man known as a man after God's own heart. It's this example that we can look at that is superb and wonderful. Yet here we see that he is still human. He still makes mistakes just like each one of us. And we can learn from that. We can grow from his story here. And as we go through this story, what I want us to do is, is not look at it from a whole, but I want us to look at the choice after choice. I want us to go down the slippery slope with David to see how it all unravels. So back in, 11, in chapter 11, starting in verse 1, we read, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and, she was, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one of them said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Like I said before, David's first choice in this story is to stay back. And so he chooses idleness. Look at the way this is described to us, if you will. When David's staying back in verse 2, it says, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. I can imagine David just relaxing on his couch, just lounging around because he's not off at battle. He doesn't really have much to do, so to speak, if his armies are all gone and his kingdom is focused on something else. And so David is relaxing. He is idle. And please don't misunderstand me. As we talk about this, idleness is a bad thing, yes, but rest and relaxation aren't, at least in a little dosage of it. Jesus even talks about resting and relaxing. But what we see with David is that his idleness becomes too much. Because as he is laying there idle, he decides to get up and walk around his house. And as he walks around his roof, his idle mind falls upon Bathsheba. He sees her bathing in the roof. Have you ever had those moments? Those moments where you're relaxing and you're a little bored just because, you know, there isn't that much to do at that time. Maybe it's a Saturday, the work, there's no job to go to, it's just a day to relax, and you're just laying there, and your mind starts to wander. You look over and you see your phone on the coffee table, and you think, well, maybe I can get into some trouble with that. Or maybe you, you start to flip channels on the TV, and your, your channel flipping starts to pause on different shows. When I get bored, the first thing I turn to is my phone. I'll look at sports, I'll look at social media, I'll look at anything on my phone. And if I'm not careful, the trap that I have often fallen into is that my idleness can get me into trouble on my phone. I can start looking at things that I really shouldn't be looking at. I can get myself into trouble that I really don't need to be into. And it's all because in that time of idleness, my mind began to wander. And it settled on what was next to me. David here, his mind probably began to wander and he saw Bathsheba. And his mind began to say, well, that looks good to me. I think I should have that. 
Idleness can lead us to look at things that we shouldn't just because our phone is within reach. Idleness can lead me to activities that cloud my judgment just because I'm bored. When I'm bored, it's easy to imagine how things might be different if I went to a party with my friends, if I went to that work function that was serving alcohol, and maybe it's a little boring, so maybe I do take a a couple drinks. Idleness leads my mind to think, well, what can make my life more fun? Because I'm bored and I need something to do. Idleness, most importantly, though, can lead me to being unprepared in my spiritual life. And as Christians, we're constantly told to prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus. Like in Luke 12, starting in verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If we are idle, we can't prepare for Jesus' return. If we're being idle, we can't be ready for that time. And so many of Jesus' teachings are centered around being ready for the return of Christ, being prepared like the master or, or like the servants in the story. Because we don't know the hour that he's coming, like the master who would, know, if he knew when the thief was coming, he'd be there waiting. It'd be easy if we knew when Jesus was coming back, but we don't. And so we must be prepared for it continually. Idleness is a choice. And a choice that can cause a plethora of problems for us. And it's warned about continually in the Bible. Ephesians 4, 25 through 29. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In this passage, what we have is instructions that instead of one thing, do this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. If the thief, yes, you can take the thief away from stealing, but if he doesn't fill that time with something else, what is he going to turn to? Well, he's going to turn to what he already knows and what he feels comfortable in. And so there's that opportunity there to fill that time, that idleness with something else. And that's something we must be willing to do. That in idleness, we must find something to fill our time. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If we're not careful, our lack of preparedness and our lack of work can lead us to poverty and hunger. If I am idle all the time, that means that I am not working. And if I am not working, I cannot help myself in in what I need. I cannot help my family in what they need. Idleness can lead to poverty and want. And in Ecclesiastes 4 or 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. This passage here is... Kind of amusing to me because it's so drastic. 
that in idleness, you get so hungry that you start to contemplate. That's what they're saying. You're eating your own flesh because that's the only thing you have around. Idleness leads to lack of everything we might need. And if I'm being idle, I cannot prepare it for myself, not only for my spiritual, for the spiritual return of Jesus, but for the needs of me and my family. And what we see in David is that David, when he chooses idleness, wanders and his eyes wander upon Bathsheba. And because his eyes turned there, and, and probably more than often than not, we'd expect David to just move along and, and say, I'm not supposed to be looking at that. <coughs> but what we see is that that's not what happens. He makes another choice. Look back with me in the passage, starting in verse 3. Or is it, well, yes, back in verse 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one of them said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. David makes a choice. He chooses idleness at first, which causes him to be in this position where his eyes fall upon Bathsheba. But then he makes another choice. Instead of turning his eyes away and walking away and, and filling his time with something else, he chooses to indulge. He chooses to give in to that sin. He sees Bathsheba there, and instead of turning away, he asks about her. He asks one of his servants, who is this? And they tell him, well, that's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And he hears this, and you know, if, if any normal person might sit there and, and any more person in their normal right mind might think, well, she's married, I, can't, I have no claim, or I have no opportunity to go for her. But David doesn't think that. He's not there right now. Instead, he hears that and says, well, bring her to me. David chooses to give in to his sin. When there's so many opportunities for him to choose something else, he chooses to give in. We do this too. We do this so many times in our life where we know what's right and what's wrong, and yet we give in to the wrong because, well, I just want to know what it feels like. I just want to know what it's like to have that or to be in that opportunity. Sometimes we ignore what is right because we're selfish. I know what I want, and I want to have fun. I want to feel joy. I want to feel happy. And I look at what's out there, and I think about myself, and I think, you know, I've been told I can't do so much in my life. Well, why can't I give in? It seems like everyone around me is having fun giving in, so maybe I should give in. And my selfishness causes me to choose sin over God. It causes me to choose to give in, to indulge. Sometimes we choose sin because, well, I can repent later. If I have that mindset of, I can repent later, there's always going to be time for me to ask for forgiveness, well, then I don't have to worry about the consequences in my life. I can just give in constantly because I can always go back later and ask for forgiveness. And I can choose sin over God, and I can choose to indulge instead of to stand strong. Sometimes we choose to give in, to indulge, because we disconnect ourselves from the consequences. If I don't think about all the bad things that might come from this choice, then I'm not going to have to deal with them, at least not right now. I can go and enjoy myself and have fun and give in, and then when that time comes where I have to deal with those, well, I'll make some more choices in that time. 
But when I disconnect myself from those, those possible consequences, then I don't have to worry about them. And I can give in and indulge freely to what is wrong. And when we zoom out of this story, we'll see that this choosing to indulge is not just David's problem. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You see what James is saying here? He's talking about boasting about days that you assume you have, but we don't really. It's that mindset of banking on the time to come back and ask for forgiveness. It's that mindset of, I've got more time than I, than I know I have. James instead tells us, well, you just say, if God allows us to have lived that long, then we'll do this. Understanding that God is the one who gives us the days. He gives us the time. And we never know when that time is going to be up. 2 Peter 2, starting in verse 21, For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. This is an image that has stuck with me throughout my entire childhood. The idea of a dog going back to its own vomit or a cow or a pig going back to the mud after being clean. It's that idea of, I know what's right, I know what's good, but I'm going, to back what make, going back to what makes me dirty, what makes me unclean. And in verse 21, it gives us a warning that is, is something we should all be able to cling to. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness. It's better for me to not know what God expects of me than it is for me to know what he expects and turn away from it. When we choose to indulge, we separate ourselves from God. And especially when I recognize it as being wrong, especially when I know it to be sin, it keeps me away from God. It takes me away from the comfort of his righteousness, of his promises, and puts me into sin. And the wages of sin, according to Romans, is death. That if I'm sinning, I am spiritually dying. David understands what is wrong. He understands why he should not have Bathsheba, why he should not even go after her, yet he still chooses to. He even knows her husband. Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men. It's one of his men of valor, his armed guard that would go out with him into battle. He knew him, no doubt. And that doesn't even sway him. David's choices, as we can see, are starting to set him down this slippery slope. He chooses idleness, and it starts to fall. And then he sees Bathsheba, and he chooses to indulge, which plunges him off the cliff. But there's still more choices to come in this story. Look with me, if you will, in verse 6 of chapter 11. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out to the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. 
But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And the letter he wrote set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. We see there's a problem that arises from David's choices. Bathsheba is pregnant. She is carrying David's child, and David sees this, and here would be a perfect opportunity for him to come clean, to invite, jo to invite Uriah back and say, hey, I made a mistake. I've sinned. And fix it right there. But David chooses something else. Instead of choosing to own up to what he's done, David chooses to cover up his sin. He chooses to try and fix it in his own way. David, in all of his wisdom and understanding, chooses wrong again in his path. He invites Uriah back, and he feeds him, and, and gives him wine, and, and gives him everything he could want after coming back from a battle. And then he says, hey, go home. Go see your wife. Go be with her. But Uriah doesn't. Instead, Uriah chooses to sleep down on a couch with all the rest of the servants. You see, Uriah is showing more honor and respect in this one instance than David has this entire story. And we see that when Uriah goes back to David and David asks him about why he did not go down to his house. And he tells him, well, it's not right. Not right when all my, my country, my Israel, my Judah, my leader are sleeping in booths and they're not enjoying comfort or peace. Why should I? This is a moment where Uriah is again showing his honor and his respect. And David can't see it. David is so clouded by the problem he has created that he has to find a way. So he decides, well, maybe if I get Uriah drunk, he'll go down to his wife. And so he gives him more wine and he makes Uriah drunk and Uriah still sleeps on a couch with the servants. And finally, it comes to a point where David sends a letter by the hand of Uriah to give to Joab. So that Joab knows to put Uriah at the front of a battle and pull the army back. So that there is no other solution than Uriah's death. David chooses to cover up his sin. And when we look at this story, there are so many times where we can pinpoint opportunities to say, well, he should have done this, he should have done that. But there are so many times in our life where we have the same exact story playing out by our actions where our choices have continually pushed us and pushed us and pushed us until, the, until there's no option that makes sense than to cover up. And while everyone else around us might be saying, well, no, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. In our mind, we've got our blinders on, and we can only see our path that says, well, this is how Zach can make this right. This is how I can cover this up, and no one will ever know. The plan is carried out. Uriah is killed in battle, and Joab sends a messenger back to David to tell him it's been done. 
And so he sends him back. David hears this news and he goes about his day. In fact, he, he waits for the respectful mourning period for Bathsheba and then takes her as his wife. David acts like nothing has happened. Everything's covered up. No one knows about this but David and Bathsheba. Sometimes we get this opportunity where we can cover up our sin and no one will know about it. No one will be able to look at us and say, Zach, I know what you did. I know how you have failed. I know how you've fallen short of God. Instead, there are opportunities where we can just walk on by, act as if nothing has ever happened. Sometimes that means I cover up my situations by lying. If I can fabricate a story about what happened or blame it on someone else with a lie, then I don't have to deal with it. It's not my fault anymore, and it's someone else's. Sometimes we cover our, our sins just by blaming others. Well, if so-and-so did it, it means I can't do it. And if so-and-so did it, that means they must deal with the punishment instead of me. And if someone else is dealing with the punishment, then I get away free and clean. Sometimes our cover-up can involve other people. Do you notice in David's story how many people are involved in this cover-up? He involves Joab. He involves the messengers, the army, just to cover up his sin. Sometimes I can use other people without them even knowing that I'm using them to cover up my mistakes. And that can cause them to fall away from God as well. And when I cover up my sin with anything, no matter what it is, it can be very costly. It can cost me my morality, my, my clear understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Because if, if I start to make excuses for one thing, then I can start get, making excuses for everything. It can cost others their jobs, their relationships. It can cost me my job or my relationships. Because if I'm trying to cover up a sin, it's ultimately going to cause more problems than the beginning. Choices like these are a slippery slope. They start us down a path that just keeps rolling and rolling. And it's very difficult to hop off or get out of the way. But we have to find a way to get out. Because what we see in this story of David is that David's choices have consequences. In chapter 12, we see God sends a prophet to David, a prophet by the name of Nathan. And Nathan comes and gives this huge parable to David about a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man has everything he could imagine. And the poor man has one lamb. And the rich man invites a guest over, and he looks at what, he's ha what he has to offer this man for a feast. And he doesn't see anything that he wants to give up. But then he looks over to what the poor man has, and the poor man has a lamb. And well, that's not going to cost the rich man anything, so he goes over and takes that lamb and uses it to feed his visitor. This, this creates a, a vitriol, a vicious reaction by David. David is so upset by what this parable shows him that this rich man would do something that he calls for this man to be put to death. And Nathan turns to David and says, you are that man. David has everything he could have ever wanted, and he took what one man had, the one thing that Uriah had, the one person Uriah had. And God even tells David through Nathan that if Nathan had just asked for anything, he would have had it. God had blessed him with so much, and if that wasn't enough, David only needed to ask. David's choices create problems. He's going to lose his son. From Bathsheba. His children are going to rise up against him in his kingdom and cause problems for him. 
He is not going to have a peaceful kingdom anymore. David's choices here, starting with his choice of idleness, create so many more problems throughout his life. And that can be the same for us. Choices of idleness can cost me my living and lead me to poverty. Choices of, of indulgence or giving in can lead me to isolation or loss of relationships. Choices of lust or adultery can result in lost marriages or relationships and a destroyed family or destroyed life. Choices of selfishness can lead me to losing my friends or my family. Ultimately, though, choices of sin lead to death. And a death that takes us away from an eternity with God and puts us in an eternity of torment. Our choices should all revolve around what's right. But that doesn't mean they always do. Sometimes we do begin this rut, but we can get out of it. Just like we noticed through this story with David, there are so many opportunities for David to jump out, to get off the slippery slope. Imagine if he had listened when his servant told him, hey, that's Uriah's wife. Imagine if he had realized what he had done with Bathsheba and apologized to Uriah and tried to fix it there. So many things would have changed. In our life, if we are willing to listen to other people who are trying to help us, we can get off this slippery slope. We can go back to making the right choices. If we are willing to own up to mistakes that we make, bad choices that we make, we can get off the slippery slope. There are ways off these choices, this, this path that keeps resulting in destruction. We just have to be willing to find them and look for them. And there is hope in this story. At the end of the chapter, in chapter 12, David, after he loses his son, goes back to worshiping God. Instead of being angry towards God, instead of being sorrowful towards God, he goes back to worshiping God because he knows God is just and right. There's hope for us even when we do make these mistakes. And that's what I want us to see in this story. I appreciate your attention. We're going to go ahead and be dismissed for our classes at this time.